The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast, Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Superwoman Wellness, where you know I am determined to bring you back to your superpowered self. Joining me today on a topic we really need to talk a whole lot more about is Michael Rubino, the mold medic. He's the international authority on mold remediation. As president of All-American Restoration, Rubino specializes in working with people who are immunocompromised or have acute and sustained reactions to mold exposure. Rubino provides solutions that not only get rid of the mold sources, but also get rid of the contamination created by those mold sources using his proprietary home detox method. Can't wait to learn more about that. He assembles teams to locate the mold, educate the homeowners on what it takes to detoxify your house and improve the air quality of homes to levels many would believe are impossible. He's council certified mold remediator by the IICRC and ACAC and a contributing member, sponsor and speaker for Indoor Air Quality Association. Welcome to the show, Michael. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. And as we were sort of chatting before we jumped in here, you know, I am seeing more and more mold toxicity in my practice at Center Spring MD. And, you know, I've been in practice for a bit. I think the practice is now 12 years old and I don't remember really either. I didn't know enough about it or I don't remember really picking up on it in the early years as much as I'm seeing it right now. What do you think is going on with what I think is an epidemic of mold toxicity, mold related illnesses? You know, what's your perspective on it? Well, I'm right there with you. I think it's an epidemic as well. And what's interesting, if you go back to like the late 90s, you hear a lot of studies about, you know, one to 2% of the population is only affected by mold. Uh, in today's standards, a lot of research done, you have Sears, autoimmune disorder, PANS, PANDAS, we're realistically looking at probably 25 to 30% of the population. So you know, the, the, the age old question is, are we getting worse or are we just becoming more aware? I think it's both. Um, I think there's a, a, lot of, a lot of lack of knowledge. Um, the way we build houses these days, usually it used to take 12, 12 to 15 months to build a house. I mean, the, these guys are slamming up houses in six months with very little regard to mold remediation. So I think we're, we're doing a lot of things wrong that are contributing to, to that, where mold is becoming more and more of a problem each day. And I think we're also, at the same time, becoming more aware as consumers that mold is an important thing when you're, when you're talking about air quality and trying to make sure that you're improving your health. And I think that's so true. And I know the whole topic of just indoor air quality and indoor air pollution is really more on everyone's horizon now than it ever was before. None of us thought that our homes could actually be toxic for us. How do you come into this picture? You know, I'm coming in as a physician. Are you entering in as someone who's worked with homes and has really seen the gap here? Give everyone a sense of sort of your perspective, your entry point into this conversation. Yeah. So basically, I own a company, All American Restoration, that actually provides the service to remediating homes. And not just in the traditional sense of remediation, we're really kind of coining this new term called bioremediation, if you will, where we're actually going very deep dives, very detailed re-engineering of the house to not only remove mold, remove its byproducts, but also improve the conditions so that mold can't reoccur. And I think, you know, based upon my journey over the last decade, really focusing on helping people who are sensitive to mold for one reason or another, that's really where I've become so so-called expert in this field. And uh, as of today, I've helped over 500 families who, who literally couldn't enter their home. Uh, that's how bad the homes were making them feel. 
to being back into the home and living like there was nothing ever happened. And that's really where I come into the picture. Gotcha. So you mentioned, you know, that people are putting homes up so quickly. I've seen that too. Is there something we're doing with construction of the home? My husband, by the way, um, you know, he grew up in India. He moved here when he was about 15 or 16 years old. And he says he's never gotten over the fact that we make matchstick homes, that the homes are made of wood. You know, he's like everywhere else in the world, you make homes out of concrete. You know, they're durable. They last for generations, all this other stuff. And he goes, these homes are like, you know, you can blow and they'll fall down, you know. So, you know, what is it with our construction process, our material usage that may be making us more susceptible to mold toxicity? You know, it's really simple. I actually, I'm actually, well, I was building a home myself uh, here in Tampa where I just relocated that kind of helped, you know, the Southeast United States region with, with mold. Um, unfortunately, I'm now in a, a lawsuit with my builder, um, but to kind of go over what I saw throughout the process and really what needs to change, it's very simple. One, you know, when we build our homes, the vapor barrier that we put down before we start installing the slab is so crucial. Um, you know, if you go on my Instagram right now, you can follow me at the mold medic. You can kind of follow along what I'm saying here. I have some photos of the vapor barrier before these, this company poured the, uh, the slab and it had, you mean tears and gaps and you know, all these intrusions where water I mean, a vapor barrier is designed to keep the vapors down, right? So they don't come into the living space. Well, if it's got tears and gaps and, and spots where vapor and water can travel right through it, it doesn't really do what it's supposed to do. At that point, now the slab, which is concrete, which is semi-porous, is going to absorb that moisture. Now, in, in this exact case, we had a vinyl floor that was going to go on top of that slab. That would create this layer where trapped moisture can get in between and with mold being part of our ecosystem, provides an opportunity where mold can start to grow. So that was one problem I observed that I think is, is a systemic problem that happens in construction quite a bit. Mm -hmm. The other problem I think that I saw was when they delivered the lumber, they delivered it right into the mud. It sat there for about four weeks before they started to, to put up the structure. Now, guess where mold, mold is going to grow? It's going to grow in the mud. It's going to grow on trees and, and compost and things like that. Having it part of our ecosystem, laying the wood in the, in the mud where the wood stays wet for periods longer than 24 hours, again, it provides an opportunity for mold to grow. So I had asked them beforehand with the knowledge that I had, kind of making sure that they would avert this problem. And unfortunately they said, yes, yes, yes. And then they didn't actually deliver. Mm. So what I think needs to change in this, this construction aspect is there's problems that we can't avoid. Like we know it's gonna rain throughout the couple of weeks it takes to put up the house. So if we're gonna use wood materials, and we should make sure that it's dried properly before we start bringing in insulation and drywall. And I think a, a big building code that needs to change is after the house is put up and the outside is enclosed, I think we should be treating the interior structure for mold, testing it, making sure that it's mold free before we start bringing in insulation and drywall. If we do that, we won't have this, this much of an epidemic with mold in new construction homes. Do you find this mold issue unique to certain, I mean, you know, in your bio, we talked about you being an international expert. Do you find it unique to certain climates, to certain land sort of variations? Is there any variability there or is this now just a universal issue? I think it's a universal issue. Yes, there is some, um, obviously, if you live in a more humid climate um, versus a drier climate, you're going to have more opportunity for mold to grow. But I think really it just comes down to, 
utilizing building science, right? If you're in a humid climate, does that mean that you're, you automatically have mold? No, because if you build the structure in a way where you can actually control the humidity inside the structure with dehumidification, uh, proper ventilation, things like that, then guess what? Even though you're in a humid climate, you're not going to have this high humidity situation where mold's gonna grow inside your house. Same thing in a drier climate, you would think that in Arizona, for instance, you wouldn't have a mold problem. Well, I can tell you, I have clients in Arizona. Basically, you have you still have a, a structure where when they put it up, it's possible for there to be rain. Again, if they don't dry the structure, if they don't treat it, which is something that they don't ordinarily do, um, you still can have mold. Now, if you have a roof on your on your house and you have windows and doors, which obviously every house has, you're going to have a, a leak that's going to spring up every now and then throughout the course of the home's existence. With that being said, we don't, as a society, we're not really educated on how to maintain our houses properly. We don't realize that we should probably do an annual check, making sure the roof's in good shape, windows and doors are in good shape. It's just not something that we're really accustomed to do. Insurance companies that insure houses probably should do a better job educating the consumer on, hey, here's how to maintain and take care of your houses. But I think furthermore, you know, if you do these routine inspections, you can kind of avoid that problem. But unfortunately, it, it's the statistic right now is one every 10 years we're likely to have a water damage event. So even in Arizona, you know, just, just with maintenance issues, you're likely to have some sort of event and in the average of one in 10 years, water comes in and mold is able to grow. And then one more question just about houses themselves, and then we want to go to mold illness um, and talk a little bit about what you've seen there. But what is a consumer supposed to do? Like you walk into a home, you know, you decide you, you're going to buy this particular home or a particular lot, or like you, you, you know, start custom construction. Like what, what are your resources to figure out if you are susceptible to mold or if the mold or the house you're thinking about buying already has a mold issue? Like what's someone supposed to do? Okay, it's a really amazing question, you know, because we, we're kind of programmed to get this home inspection done, right? When, uh, when we're buying a house, we're kind of programmed to just think that everything on there is the only problems the house has. Here's the, here's the deal. Home inspections are amazing when you get trained to be a home inspector. It's a very involved training. However, the mold portion of that training is really only a page or two long out of the 150 pages that you have to study to become a home inspector. So there's really not as much emphasis on it. Now, you can... There are some companies out there that are home inspection companies and also do mold inspections where they have the best of both worlds. I think probably the best parameters, if you're someone, if you know you're sensitive to mold, especially when you're buying a new home, I would get the, the home inspection because you want to know other areas outside of mold that are problematic, that are going to cause you some, some harm and financial peril throughout the existence of owning the home. But also I think you want to get a mold inspection and the mold inspection kind of would go hand by hand with that, that home inspection. It should be multiple hours really looking at every nook and cranny and finding, you know, any potential water damage that could have occurred throughout the home's existence. Because we kind of touched on it earlier, if we're not maintaining homes properly, if we're not educated on how to restore homes, there could have been a leak from 10 years ago that just wasn't cleaned up properly where there's still mold there. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of covered this myth before, but just removing the source of water doesn't mean that the mold just dies and, and goes away. Yes, it does become more dormant where it's not producing as much into the air, but it's still there. So anytime you have humidity conditions or you know some water in, in the location, it just starts growing and, and colonizing right back to where it was. So I think it's really important that even older issues get looked into and, and kind of get brought into this larger scope of what do I need to do to this house to make it a perfect air quality condition? 
Gotcha. Well, interesting information. Now, what have you seen now? You know, there's so many, I sit in the position of seeing so many different illnesses. I get gaslit or swept under the rug or ignored in a conventional physician's office. What are you seeing with mold related illness as you're going into these homes and listening to people's stories? What sort of symptoms are they presenting with? What's happening, you know, from your perspective? Well, you know, I've, I've, I've seen both extremes. I've seen clients who are bedridden, um, who are eating out of a feeding tube, oh obviously God. have some, some really serious predispositions that make them really susceptible to environmentally acquired illness. Um, you know, no individual is the same. I've seen, you know, people who really just have more common allergy-like symptoms um, where they kind of feel like they're, they got this onset of a cold that just quite never goes away. Um, I've seen skin rashes, headaches, brain fog and other cognitive difficulties, uh, chronic fatigue. Uh, there was a client the other day I was talking to her and I was, you know, we were kind of rattling off symptoms. I was trying to get an understanding of what they were going through. And uh, when I said brain fog, she just started breaking down into tears. Mm. And she's like, you know, that really, that really resonated with me because I feel like sometimes it's really hard for me to string together words into a sentence. Wow. And it's really sad to see that. And a lot of these, these, to make matters worse, they're going doctor to doctor to doctor and they're all telling them, you know, maybe uh, we should get you, you know, psychiatric evaluation. Uh, we don't really see any markers or anything wrong with you. There's no diagnoses that we can come up with that would fit what you're going through. And it, it's just, it's just a lack of knowledge, right? A lot, a lot of these doctors say, if they don't, if they haven't considered that mold could be a problem, if they haven't really studied mold and the possible health effects with it, they would never really connect those dots. I think it's fascinating too that you know what pans and pansas are for so long that that's been a diagnosis that's been swept under the rug. It's again uh, an autoimmune encephalitis that affects children usually predominantly, but there is an adolescent version of it. There is an adult version of it too. What are you seeing when it comes to mold and pans and pandas syndrome? You know, I'm I'm seeing that mold is a is a very big trigger for a lot of the symptoms that they're experiencing. And again, that's based on my experience of seeing what is happening with them prior to remediation and seeing kind of how they improve thereafter. You know, I think a lot of clients that we we work with are remediating because they're worried about their kids' safety. Mm. And I, and, I, and there there's a you know there's there's a mix of obviously husbands or wives feeling this, but. I, I would say probably the biggest majority of our clients are doing it because their kids are, are either have autism, uh, pans and pandas, um, some sort of autoimmune disorder. And I think that's really where, where we kind of see the, the drastic improvements. I've even, I've even seen cases where there's certain markers in, in autism that get better after you know, improving the environment from, from a mold aspect. But really, when we look at mold, it's part of the air quality, you know, uh, pollution really you have you don't just have mold you also have bacteria you have the toxins that are produced by bacteria the toxins that are produced by mold now there's other things that are happening with water damage events that really mold mold is a massive part of it but that really we all encompass a remediation for us so let's talk about that for a second so what are the other because what's happening in the physician office probably even in our offices we are testing for mold for sure we have a list of different biomarkers that we look at for mold, we look at some urine testing as well, we look at inflammatory markers to try to determine if that particular patient may have mold toxicity. We send them home with mold plates to assess their environment, ask them if we were seeing enough positives, then we ask them to bring in somebody like yourself to evaluate the home. 
So with biotoxins, what are we missing in that conversation? What might we, like mold markers might be fine, but what may not be okay that we're potentially missing? Well, so you, when you have water damage intruded in the house, depending on where the water came from. So in attics, right? Sometimes we have rodent feces where the water travels through that. It picks up bacteria. And as it makes its way throughout the house, bacteria, as it dies off, it produces what's called endotoxins. And endotoxins are similar to mycotoxins in the composition, but the, the real tricky part about endotoxins essentially is the fact that you have to do a very, very detailed cleaning of the house, similar like you would the mycotoxins. But honestly, there's, there's really, there's, there's so little study on endotoxins and, the, and exotoxins, which is another toxin uh, produced by bacteria, except not when it dies off, it's while it's alive. Um, there's so little studies on the health implications from the, the, the toxins produced by bacteria. We know obviously that there's, there's specific markers, anything over a certain milligram we know is considered dangerous. So at least we're able to test the home and, and identify if bacteria and the bacterial toxins are a problem so that we know that that has to be cleaned up in conjunction with it. And we call that in, in a, you know, the IICRC, we'd call that category three water. The problem is, is that we're, we, we really missed a boat because we think of category three water as coming from like a toilet leak, right? Some sort of drain line where it picks up bacteria, feces, things like that. But we actually, if it, if it goes through several layers of building materials, depending on, you know, rodent feces, depending on if it passed through soil, it could pick up bacteria on the way in. So it's always important to check and make sure that bacteria is not a problem while you're identifying for mold. And you can do that by testing for endotoxins. Gotcha. So endotoxin testing on the homeowner, what about testing on the house? What sort of do you recommend there? What if someone doesn't have access to a company like yours? What can they do to test for biotoxins and indoor air quality within the home itself? Well, I mean, if you can't afford, let's say like a hygienist, I would just call the labs directly and see if, you know, if they can send you types of testing with, with instructions of how to collect the sample yourself. You know, endotoxins and mycotoxins, it's similar to, it almost looks like a Swiffer pad where you're literally collecting dust from the house and they're analyzing the dust to see if there are endotoxins present, if there are mycotoxins present, and there's actually a measurement of how much is there. And this really gives you a good idea of how big the problem is and how much cleaning is really needed in order to bring, to actually remove that from the environment. And how do you remove endotoxins? Like I can visually see you're removing water damage, cutting out walls that might be damaged, you know, replacing floors. But how do you deal with the, like something with the endotoxin component? Okay, so with all biotoxins, mycotoxins included, and this includes endotoxins, you have, they actually kind of make up like a chemical residue. Mm -hmm. So they stick to surfaces the same way if you spill the chemical and that chemical residue would kind of bond to the surfaces. The best way to do it is to use a disinfectant and a degreaser at the same time. Uh, there's a product that I like, it's called Benefect Decon 30. I have no affiliation with the product except that I think it's a great product. Um, and it has, it has surfactant in it and it has a disinfectant in it that is known to remove bacteria, viruses, uh, microbials, et cetera. And basically what you wanna do is you wanna wipe these surfaces and I'm talking walls, floors, ceilings, furniture, et cetera. Um, depending on exactly what the range of the results are, if you have, you know, astronomical levels, I mean, you may need to clean the place two or three times before you actually get it perfect. 
Because mm -hmm. with, with, with biotoxins, unfortunately, usually the first time you clean, you're actually pulling more to the surface. The second time you clean, you're starting to really get a lot removed, maybe 75% removed. The third time you clean, you're finally getting to that 99 to 100%. So you may need to wipe down every surface, you know, in proximity to that area three or four times to really get it to where it's now considered safe levels. Gotcha. Wow. Serious business here. So what else uh, do we need to be thinking about with indoor air quality? You talked about the American Lung Association saying that any small particle, 10 micrometers or less, are the highest danger to our health. What do you see yeah. kind of looking forward and looking into the future with indoor air pollution, climate change? How are all of these things related? I'm seeing it in the exam room with SIRS, like you talked about, yeah. pandas, chronic autoimmune diseases, hormone disruptions, infertility, you name it, we're seeing it. Um, what is your, what do you think the solution is? Yeah, so, I mean, basically when I, when I compile that data, right, I, I, my focus is on this. You know, a lot of people have this misconception about mold. Um, yeah, it's, it's, we've really been programmed through the last 20 to 30 years of mold's not a big deal, use some bleach, paint over it, right? We've all been there. We've all heard this, this type of uh, dialect. And um, we got to, I want to zoom out because there's a lot of naysayers out there that say, well, mold only impacts a certain amount of people. You know, that's why one person doesn't feel it and the rest do. And, you know, I want to, I want to talk more about particulate matter because when we talk about climate change, climate change, we, we all look at the outdoors. Well, the studies start outdoors because that's all we've really ever studied um, in that regard when it talks about particulate matter. Particulate matter is still important because that's really what we consider pollution. We've never really looked at indoor air pollution quite the same way. And particulate matter, how that ties into it is very, very important. Mold essentially is, creates particulate matter. So for instance, you have a roof leak, mold is now growing inside your house, right? It, it, it's, it's circulating in the air. The HVAC system usually picks it up. Now that becomes contaminated. That becomes a source of mold. And sources are constantly outputting particulate matter. That's why if you do an air quality test, usually they'll have like a, a machine set up with an air cassette and it actually monitors how much particulate are passing through. And that's what gives us this sample. Now, most of our old guards of mold remediation will tell you that as long as it's, you know, better inside than outside, regardless of the species present, it's a path, you're in the clear. And we, what we want to look at that is those numbers per cubic meter is what we want to look at when we say air quality. So let's say you have all these leaks, it's producing mold, and now you have 100,000 spores per cubic meter being produced that are getting aerosolized into the environment, circulating around. We tie back into the average person takes 20,000 breaths per day, and we understand that you have a high particulate count inside the home, that's 20,000 opportunities for those particles to get into the body. What's dangerous about mold, and again, I'm zooming out, let's take away mold allergies and all of that, and let's just, let's just talk about the particulate size. The EPA, the American Lung Association, the CDC, they all say any particle smaller than 10 micrometers is dangerous because it it's so small, it passes right through the respiratory tract and it enters the bloodstream, okay? Mm -hmm. Mold happens to be about two micrometers, so that's less than 10. So that's one thing to consider. We also have bacteria, which is much smaller, viruses, which are nanometers. You have allergens, toxins, all of this, smaller than 10 micrometers that have the opportunity to enter the, the, the body and pass right into the bloodstream. This is why, you know, we, we really got to look at almost like an air diet. You know, especially now we're spending more time in our homes than ever before with COVID. 
we really have to look at air quality being a part of the problem or solution to optimizing our health. In, in that regard, when we look at air, and I call it the air diet because it's just it's kind of perfect. You know, we we spend more time making milk alternatives from different nuts than we do actually saying, "What about the air we breathe?" Because air is the number one thing we consume. Mm -hmm. That is so true. And you write about a lot of this, I think, in your book, The Mold Medic, which just got released. Tell us a little bit about your book and uh, what people can learn from it as they're trying to understand this issue a little bit better. Yes, uh, thank you. And I wrote the book, The Mold Medic. Um, basically, the reasoning behind it is I quickly realized, you know, I'm not going to solve this problem one house at a time. I need to get this information out there into other people's hands so that more and more people can help more and more people. And that's kind of how this, this all starts from an educational standpoint. Right. Now, the mold medic is written from the viewpoint of, okay, I'm sensitive to mold, or at least I think mold is a problem for me. I think I have mold in my house. What do I do? And I kind of go step by step on what you do. Uh, I have, you know, basically how to find a good mold inspector, how to find a good mold remediator, and kind of what you need to do with your HVAC system, what you need to do with your belongings, and how to really make sure that air quality becomes optimized where mold, bacteria, and all these other things become a thing of the past. And that's really the, the way I've written that book. And looking forward, I need to write books on what do we do with the construction industry um, and you know why this is so important, I think, is, is the next set of topics. I think we need to go back to concrete homes. You know, concrete homes are not a bad idea, but just the way... It's so funny because we build homes out of, as you know, sticks, right? Right. And, um, but we're now like building them super tight when those materials we're using need to breathe. Yeah. It's very interesting. You know, in, in other parts of the world, they build these concrete buildings, they build super tight buildings, but, you know, all this concrete is sealed properly, right? So it's not as porous at that point. And they really do it with that in mind. And it's just like, we have to pick one or the other. It, we can't build out of breathable materials and then build them really tight and make, make sure that they can't breathe. Right. It just creates these mold problems, right? So I think we really got to reevaluate. If, if we're going to build homes out of, out of wood, there's a way to do it so that we're not having this, this, this problem like we're having today. And I, I'm happy to outline, I think I mentioned earlier, kind of treating the house, making sure it's really dry before we start bringing in insulation and drywall. If we do that, it won't be such a problem. But the other problem with obviously building out of wood is, you know, kind of maintaining that because if water does get in through the exterior and starts to impact that wood, guess what? It's going to grow mold. It's going to rot. So these are things to consider when looking at how we build homes, how we maintain homes, and then also how we restore homes when there is a problem. Fascinating information. If anyone wants to connect with you or get your book, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so you can Instagram, I'm very active on at the mold medic, uh, Twitter at the mold medic as well. And then if you go to themoldmedic.com, you can certainly check out uh, literature on the book and uh, you'll find spots to buy it as well. Fantastic. Indoor air pollution is real. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining this episode of Superwoman Wellness. Really important information, stuff I'm seeing in the exam room every day and such an important topic that is being kind of swept under the rug. So thank you for bringing attention to it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And for everybody else, thank you for watching this episode of Superwoman Wellness. Remember, you can rate and review it and share it with your friends on Apple, iTunes, or Spotify. I'll see you guys next time.